Oh, beautiful. Pray with me. Ah. Oh, Father, as we were singing those words, all I could think of was your son on a cross. And some of the last words he said were, I thirst. He gets it. He gets the condition that your children so often find themselves in. In desperate need of soul refreshment. But it's in those moments that your grace abounds. That when we look up through the lens of your son on a cross and see the reality of what awaits, that we can say our cup truly overflows. And goodness and loving kindness will follow us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of what you have done for us. Lord, we ask now that as we continue to worship you in the word of God, you would open our eyes that we would behold wonderful things from your truth. By the power of your spirit and in the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray these things and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. As you probably know by now, some of the last words that Paul ever spoke or wrote that we have recorded from a dark dungeon in a dank prison awaiting his execution. He said, but I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. But I have fought the good fight and I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me in heaven the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. In his last words penned in the most passionate of all of Paul's 13 letters, he is telling us today, prepare now to finish strong. Because if you wait till the end, it's too late. He's like, if, if I'd have waited until now in a prison to, to finish well, to prepare for my departure, it would have been too late and there would have been nothing I could have done about it. So are you ready for this? Are you ready for that kind of lifestyle? Guys, what we do today doesn't just matter for tomorrow. What we do today matters forever. What we do today matters forever. And if we could just keep our eyes fixed on eternity, we would live today way differently. So today's message is called Finish Strong. And then we finish up this letter. It's called 2 Timothy. So open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy and we're going to be in chapter 4. We did the first five verses last Sunday. And we're going to look at this, how this man finished his life in view of eternity, recognizing that as Christians, above all the people in the world, we should be people who are known for investing well. Right? For investing well. And I'm not talking about our 401ks or lack thereof. I'm talking about investing in kingdom things. Because time is short and the consequences are eternal. So the question I'm going to ask today is, what does it look like to prepare for departure? What does it look like to prepare for departure? Well, first you have to know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father apart from him. Second, we need to be living every one of our days as if his imminent return is coming, because it is. But then, thirdly, we need to go, okay, but, but how do I live out until that day comes? How do I live out today? And Paul's going to tell us in these verses that, that he finishes up this chapter in. So in chapter 2, or chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 6, where Paul's going to tell us that we are to live a life poured out. A life poured out. So look at verses 6 and 7. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. Already being poured out is in what's called the passive in the Greek. Here's what that means. That means Paul is not pouring his life out. His life is being poured out. He is not saying, I have given my life a sacrifice to God. He is saying, God has taken my life a sacrifice for him. He is being poured out. It's happening to him. It's not something he even did necessarily willingly. It goes back to even Psalm 22 where King David writes this. I am poured out like water. Because everyone here, even if you don't profess faith in Christ yet, everyone here, God wants to pour you out so that he can pour himself in. If, if you're so full of you, there's no room for him, he can't get there. So he is, part of why Paul was the amazing man Paul was is because he was so poured out there was so much room for the spirit of the living God to live inside of him. Have you, can you say, have you said, I have given my life to God to do with as he wants? That's going to be kind of an underlying theme of today's message. Guys, we are to let God work in our lives even as he, even as we are doing the work. In another letter that Paul writes while he's in prison the first time, in Philippians he writes that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But then he immediately finishes the thought with, because God is the one at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we're to work, we're to, we are to partner with God to pour our lives out even as he is pouring our lives out. Paul's life was poured out just like Christ's life was poured out. At the first communion, the last supper, Jesus says this in Matthew 26. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Christ's life was poured out, and we are to fight the good fight of faith and pour our lives out because Christ poured his life out. That's what motivated Paul. And that's what he says next. He says, so I've been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. He says, I have fought the good fight. Guys, that, that doesn't, again, that, that, sound, that doesn't sound very Christianese. Fighting doesn't sound very Christianese. But the Christian walk is a battle. We are in a fight. We're in a fight spiritually with the spiritual forces of darkness. Paul makes that clear multiple times in his letters. And we're just in a fight in our own flesh. It is, it is a fight to the finish line. Right? In his first letter to Timothy that he writes to Timothy a couple years before he writes 2 Timothy, 
when he's not in prison, Paul says this to Timothy. Now, I want you to listen to how emphatic Paul is. It's going to come up on the screen. In 1 Timothy 4, listen to how emphatic his verbiage is. He's telling Timothy, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. He's talking about the Word of God. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example. That actually means make an impression. It's the picture of slapping someone in the back so hard that your handprint stays. That's what that word, he says, make yourself, set an example. He's saying, leave your mark, Timothy, to all who believe in, in to, so that all will believe in what you say in the way you live, in your, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I come, here's another imperative, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Here's another imperative. Give your complete attention to these things. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch over how you live in your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear. As he's telling Timothy, leading, shepherding, especially in the church, is an active, intense battle shepherding God's people, whether that be as the pastor from the front on a Sunday or in your small group or in your own home with your own children, it is a fight. It is. But, but it's a fight that has in some ways already been won for us and in the end will be completely won, which is what our series in Revelation is going to take us through starting next week, Lord willing. So we are to fight the good fight, and then he says, I have finished the course. It's interesting, in this long discourse in the book of Hebrews, which is right after where we're at in 2 Timothy, don't turn there, but in this long discourse in Hebrews, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, some think it was Paul, in, in chapter 10, he talks about the importance of us being together, the assembling together as the body of Christ. And then in chapter 11, he starts listing all of these giants of the faith, men like Abraham and David, women like Rahab. And he says, these people showed us that... that Faith is an action. And then he tells us, so here's, in light of all this, here's what we're supposed to do. Chapter 12. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside all of this junk, the world stuff, and the sin that so easily entangles us on the inside, and let's run with endurance this race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. He's saying that's how you finish the course. I love how he says in one of, his, one of his early letters in 1 Corinthians, he says, don't you realize that everyone is in the race, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. He's like, don't run this race half-heartedly. Run to win it. He's talking about, he's not talking about actually running a race. He's talking about our walk with the Lord. So we're to run the race, we're to finish the course, and then he says, I kept the faith. Perhaps the most powerful scene of, of, in Paul's life of keeping the faith is the first letter he writes is Galatians. He's writing to this church in Galatia, and in that letter in Galatians, he shares a scene where he fronts Peter up. This is the apostle Peter, the one who walked with Jesus face to face for three plus years, right? And he, and he fronts Peter up in, the front of, in front of everybody. Why? Because Peter was adding to the gospel, and Paul was letting him know it. Paul was like, do not, contending, I, I contended for the faith. Paul's saying, do not add to the gospel of God. 
fight for it. Paul was keenly aware that we are one generation away from losing the truth of the gospel. We are one generation away in, in the church from losing the true gospel. And guess what, guys? It's on us to contend for that. It's on us to contend for the truth of the gospel. That's the charge of the church. You are what Jesus is doing in the world today. Can't wait for next week because we're going to talk a lot about that. So what does it look like for you? Not all of us are called to be Paul, obviously. I'm not called to go travel the world and, and plant churches. But all of us are called to run this race, to finish the course, and to keep the faith. So what does that look like for you? Like what, what would it look like day to day in your life? That's what today's question is about. So what does it look like to prepare for departure? It looks like a life that's poured out into the lives of others. Guys, get, just try to picture the scene. Here Paul is in prison, knows his time is short. What's on his mind? At the very end of this letter, he knows he's wrapping up the letter. At this point, pretty much the rest of this letter is goodbye. And look at what, he's, look, look at what is on Paul's mind. People. The souls of people. He said, just like Jesus on the cross. Isn't that interesting? What was on Jesus' mind? You and me, his mom. That's what was on his mind. People. Not what he was going through. Look at what he says in verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to, to Demaltia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him to me, for he is useful to me in service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. And when, you and when you come, bring the cloak that I left in Traos with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith, whoever this guy was, did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. And we'll keep going here in a few minutes. But guys, he's saying, my life was poured out for other people. That's, that, is, that was the goal of my life. And here's the truth. More often than not, it ended poorly. More often than not, the relationships I poured myself into ended badly. Guys, we don't have time to go through it, but, but he says earlier in this letter, we looked at it a few weeks ago, he says, Timothy, you know everyone in Asia has deserted me. These are churches he planted in Ephesus, in Thessalonica, in Colossae, and he's saying, all of you, Timothy, you know all of those people. That, I don't care who you have been deserted by. I don't care who you feel like you've been rejected by. It is not an entire continent. Paul has been deserted by all of Asia, and these are people he's given his life to. And he's like, they're all gone. We should expect no different. But if we persevere, we'll get no less than what he's going to share with us at the end. Guys, is he saying my life is a failure because all these, bad, these people have deserted me? Is he saying that? G get this. Guys, listen, listen to this. Jesus comes, lives, dies, rises again, and ascends and at the end of that project, 120 people are sitting in a room. On any church growth plan, that is a giant fail. And this was Jesus. And he had no plan B. 
at the end of his life, giving 30 plus years to the Lord, planting churches, Paul is sitting in a prison alone with Luke sitting there next to him. Is his life a fail? No. Guys, no human who has ever walked the planet has changed the face of the globe more than Paul the Apostle. His teaching has changed everything about the church by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And yet, if you looked at this glimpse of his life right now, you'd say, fail. Guys, don't look at the glimpse of your life right now. Look at the glimpse of your life right now fully in view of the eternity set before you. Jesus never counted the crowds. Never. Read all four Gospels. He never counts numbers. He counts disciples. That's what he cares about. His goal was to get those 120 people to go out and do to other people what he did to them. That was it. That was his only plan. And it has changed the world. Here's the ugly truth, guys. Being in the lives of people will often hurt you. But to surround yourself with people that you like because you are like them is not a biblical model of discipleship. We've talked about that before, right? Being in some small group of people, whether it's a, a home study group or something, because you all think the same way and you don't really annoy each other that much, is not discipleship. It is not biblical, and it ain't the church. There is not as an example in Scripture of people who gave their lives to the gospel, who gave their lives for the church, where they weren't hurt by other people. That's just part of the project because God is using those people in your life too. Guys, get this. David was a man after God's own heart. King David, Old Testament. David was a man after God's own heart. Probably my favorite person in Scripture outside of Jesus. What made David David? Better said, who made, apart from God, who made David David? Saul. Who made Saul Saul? God. The word of God clearly says that an evil spirit from the Lord descended upon Saul so that Saul would persecute David. Wait a second. What kind of project is that? This loving God who's all about warm and fuzzy and best life now, he intentionally frustrates the king to go and intentionally persecute the guy he's anointed as king. That is how God works. It may not be how you want him to work certainly isn't how I want him to work often, but it is how he chisels the dug out of Doug to conform me into the image of Christ. You guys, and the people who are no longer here, who have rejected me, or rejected the gospel, or for what, they have been used by God to help make me look more like Jesus Christ. That's why doing ministry this way matters. That's why being in relationships that hurt are worth it. Because God is doing a work not only through you, but to you and to me. Guys, Paul boasts in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about his physical ailments. But when you, when you ask the question, what does it look like to prepare for departure? He is not talking about the physical ailments. The thing that he is talking about is the relational conflict he had. The thing that hurt Paul wasn't the times he was beaten without number. It wasn't being shipwrecked. It wasn't sitting out, being out at sea all, all night and all day. It was the people 
who kicked him in the gut after he gave their life, his life to them. It hurt. And yet, he is not having a pity party. He is not sitting there going, oh, it, was all, it wasn't worth it. He is saying it was more than worth it. And I guarantee you now, he surely is. Why? Because Paul knew something. We are never more like Jesus Christ than, we are being, when, than when we are being hurt by people we have loved and given our lives away to. We are never more like Christ than when we are being hurt by people whom we've loved and given our lives away to. How do we know that? Just look at the cross. And here's what Peter says about that. He says, even though he was obviously being pushed, he was being crucified, he did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. So how do we prepare for departure? We, give our, we, we pour our lives out into the lives of others, continually strengthened by the presence of his grace. Look at verses 16 and 17. She's like, man, people hurt. But then get this. He's like, look at verse 16. At my first offense, no one supported me. They all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But now get this. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened with me. As Paul is saying, don't have a pity party. Get over it and get going. Let it hurt. Let it hurt. It hurts, guys. Don't just sit and go, yeah, you didn't hurt me. Don't hurt if you don't let it. That is not a way to live. That is a way to seal yourself up in a cocoon and keep people at arm's length. It don't hurt if you don't let it. You will die a lonely, hard-hearted person. Right? Let it hurt. Let it heal. And let it go over and over and over again. Don't forget that no matter what is going on in your life, you guys, you're going to have strong enemies. Paul did. Alexander the coppersmith, strong enemy. You're going to have weak friends. Everyone he gave his life away to deserted him when he needed them. But you have the strongest friend you'll ever have in Jesus Christ who in Hebrews 13 says that I will never, no, never, ever, 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 ever leave you or forsake you. That's your friend, and that's who Paul was clinging to, and that's why we need to cling to. And the second half of verse 17 tells us the whole, the whole reason behind it. He says, all of that happened so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished. That's the proclamation of the gospel. And that all the Gentiles might hear... And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. So he's saying, Jesus showed up and helped me at my moment of need because I was busy about the business of the gospel. So if you're sitting here today and you're going, this is not in my notes. I always get nervous. It, this is not in my notes. It, it, but if, if you're sitting here today and you're going, okay, but wait a second. Like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't feel like Jesus is helping me. I'm struggling. I'm hurt. My spouse has hurt me. My kids have hurt me. My fill-in-the-blank has hurt me. And, and I've asked Jesus to come help me. Here would be my question. What are you doing for the kingdom? 
Because Paul's connection, Christ's connection to I will never leave you, forsake you, is not directed to your comfort. It's directed to his kingdom. He showed up to help Paul because Paul was about the business of kingdom work, not just to make Paul feel better. Guys, get busy about kingdom work, discipling other people, and watch your marriage improve. Watch your family get stronger. If, like Paul, if you are saved, it was on purpose, there are no accidents in God's economy, and it was for a purpose, and that's to declare his glory. So what does it look like to prepare for departure? Look at verse 18. I'm, it says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It looks like a life poured out into the lives of others, strengthened by the presence of his grace for a glory to be revealed. In his letter to the Romans that he writes about 10 years before he writes 2 Timothy, he says, I consider this suffering I'm going through, this is 10 years earlier, so he did a lot of suffering in that next 10 years too. In those 10 years, he said, this, I consider the suffering I'm going through now, Romans 8, as nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed to me in the coming day. That's what kept Paul going over and over and over again. Now let's go back up to verse 8, because I skipped that. I don't know if you noticed. In verse 8 he says, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all, also to all who have loved his appearing. Because I'm not going to talk about rewards today. I've taught on rewards in heaven. I'm, it will come up during the Revelation and Daniel study as well, other than to say this, there are degrees of reward in heaven, and what we do here now is how we earn them. What that looks like is not clear in Scripture. How all that's going to play out is not totally clear in Scripture. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the heaven study this summer, but, but it is true that, that God is a rewarder, Hebrews 13, Right? That those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. There are degrees of reward in heaven. And, and we'll actually see this next week because we're going to look at the beginning of Revelation and the end of Revelation next week. When Jesus comes back, he says this, Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. That's not a salvific promise. That's a reward, an eternal reward promise. We are going to use those gifts, those, those awards, those rewards that he's given us for all eternity. All of this right now is just a dress rehearsal. This is just practice for what you will be doing in eternity forever. Guys, what does it look like to prepare for departure? That's, that's where we started here. And the time of my departure has come, Paul says. He doesn't say end. He doesn't say finish. He knows he is just stepping into a greater reality. The time of my... Because everybody here is going to have a departure. We all have an end date. And we all have a destination. Everyone here. The only question is when and where. That's it. 
everybody lives forever. The only question is address. Everybody lives forever. The only question is where. The, the question, if you hear nothing else today, is where are you? I don't, nobody knows the when. When he's coming back or when he's taking you home. But the where can be decided right now. Is everybody here has an eternal destiny. As the music team comes up and we prepare to respond to what you've heard in God's word, we respond here in three ways every Sunday. We give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. We have a box in the back for that. That's a way to just say that everything we have is yours, Lord. Right, we're going to give to you out of our first fruits, not, of our, not out of our leftovers. We're going to praise him in song. We're going to open our house, hearts and then our mouths to him in praise. And then today we're going to spend time praying to him and having a baptism as a way to respond to the gospel truth. But guys, if you're sitting here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to ask you a question. Who or what are you following? We are all worshipers. We are all worshipers. Everybody is worshiping something. What are you worshiping? Some of you are sitting here today and you just need to repent. You need to realize that I have been living my way for my wants, how I would like them. And today is the day that the Lord is saying, enough. Enough. And here's the sad reality of that, guys. The sad reality is, the irony is that if, if, if your life isn't committed to something more meaningful than just your life, your life is meaningless. Guys, if you're not committed, if you're not living for something bigger than you, when you die, that's what this whole series has been about. Are you ready for this? When you die, what has your life meant? What'd you do during the dash? Born and died. What, and what difference did it make? Jesus is not just one more thing we add to our lives. He is the reason for living. And for those of us that are Christians, we need to live like that. We need to be known as people throughout the globe who are known for investing well. Everything we do doesn't just matter for tomorrow. It matters forever. It has eternal consequence. Now maybe you're sitting here right now and you're going, you know what, but, but, but Doug, life is hard. Right? People hurt me. I'm j I feel like I've been rejected by the people I love the most. I feel like I've been abandoned by almost everybody. As I get it. My, my, my word to you would be, keep looking up. And not in just some flippant way, but I'm saying, guys, that's the only place we find hope. But it's more hope than you'll ever need. If you'll really grab a hold of the truth of what awaits us. It's like this, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Here are the last words that we have of this amazing man of God. The Lord be with you in spirit. Grace be with you all.
That is my prayer for us. The Lord be with you in spirit and grace be with you all. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth of who you are. I thank you for the truth of your grace that is with us because of what your son has done for us. Lord, I do pray for every heart in this room, believer, unbeliever, that, we would, that our heart's affections would be stirred to what matters for eternity. That we would give our lives poured out as an offering to you for our mind's attention and our heart's affection to be on you. That in this world that has so many distractions and so many doubts and so many fears, in those moments we would remember you are near. You will never leave us or forsake us. We need never be alone. But Jesus, make our hearts make you enough. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You are literally everything. May you be everything to us. By the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.